to us. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, it's our final preview podcast, the last time you're going to hear from me before we recap a Miami Dolphins training camp practice 2022 edition. But today, we put a bow on the 2022 NFL preview and Dolphins training camp preview series with the specialists and the AFCE. So plenty of Dolphins talk coming your way. Let's go ahead and jump right in from somewhere in central Washington. This is... The Drive Time Podcast. Offense is done. Defense is done. The special teams is all that's left for us to cover here on the Dolphins offseason recap edition of the Drive Time Podcast. And fun 11-part series, I think it was here, covering... Was it 10 parts? I think it was 10 parts. Covering offense, defense, and every division in the National Football League with every team and the off-seasons they had. And a nice little primer slash preview for you guys heading in to the month of July, the end of the month of July, and the training camp portion of the calendar. Football's back, baby, and we're here to get you covered on all of that. Starting here with the special teams and the changes to the group. Thomas Morstead is in from the Falcons and Jets last year. So is punter Tommy Heatherly, the rookie UDFA from Florida International University. Out is punter Michael Pilardi. He remains a free agent at time, at press time, I should say, uh, of this podcast. And the incumbents, you know, in a, special, in a special teams room, there's only a few guys, Jason Sanders and Blake Ferguson. And that's it. So those are your four guys, Morstead, Heatherly, Sanders, and Ferguson. On the coaching staff, we also have Coach Danny Crossman back for his fourth year with the Miami Dolphins. And we know about Coach... I don't have any audio for you, but he's been just, you know, personally as a football fan and as a guy, like fun to get to know in these media availabilities. I've learned a lot from Coach Crossman about special teams play, some of the things to look for. Like there's a lot of good, uh, you know, coaching clinics, tutorials, how to football for dummies types of stuff out there to teach yourself offensive and defensive schematics and evaluation skills. But when it comes to special teams, that's a tricky Tricky thing to find. So I always appreciate Coach Crossman uh, imparting some of his expertise on us as the media. And there's also some new additions. I, I think the one new addition to his special team staff in particular is Ricardo Allen. You might remember him from his days with the Falcons, uh, assuming that's where he and Coach McDaniel met. And actually, real quick, why don't we go ahead and just round out the assistants on staff here since we mentioned them, you know, haven't mentioned them aside from Sertan and, and Madison, or I should say Sertan is with Coach Madison in that DB's room, uh, but he's he's here, you know, defensive back assistant. Uh, Mike Person, Aldrick Robinson, might remember his name from the NFL days, and Colby Smith, our offensive assistants. Josh Grizzard, quality control on offense. Derek LeBlanc is an assistant D-line coach. Steve Ferenc is an assistant linebackers coach. Matthew Arujo is an assistant DB's coach. Ryan Slowick, a senior defensive assistant. And Allen, Ricardo Allen, joins Danny Crossman and the holdover Brennan Farrell on the special team staff. And then for posterity, Dave Paloka, the head strength and conditioning coach, and Adam Lachance, the assistant strength and conditioning. But back to Crossman, 
He's been coaching since 1993, been in the National Football League since 2003, was with that Panthers darn near Super Bowl championship team in 2003, and he's been with Miami since 2019. This group, at a glance, you know, we can talk about the individuals as far as the specialists go. We'll save that for the individual cast portion, but I wanted to look at some of the key members of the core special teams last year, just in terms of snaps played. Clayton Fedulum had more than 100 snaps than the second most snaps on special teams. He played 396 snaps. Sam Egwavon, 281. Andrew Van Ginkle, that guy plays all over the field. 277 snaps on special teams. Brandon Scarlett, 270. Seathan Carter, 268. Duke Riley had 260. Durham Smythe, 238. And that's about where your core drops off because then you have a group of guys under 200 snaps, like for instance, Christian Wilkins, who goes in there uh, on the kick uh, kick field goal team, I should say, and does some other stuff as well for the Dolphins special teams. And then to name a few of the guys we brought in that had good special teams experience last year, Keon Crossan played 307 snaps. That would have been second on the Dolphins team. Trent Sherfield, 244, would have been in that group as well with the, uh, the guys over 200 snaps. And then Alec Ingold, in just half a season last year, a little more than half a season, played 144 snaps on special teams. It was 223 the year prior when he played all 16 games back in 2020. So the cast for the specialist here. We start in order of jersey number Thomas Morstead. If you never listened to my sit-down with Thomas on drive time, I highly recommend you pause this podcast and go do that from back in was that March or April? I forget. It was it was back in the spring. I forget when we signed Thomas. But not only does he offer such leadership and a great example to follow. He understands his role in that regard. Like he even talked to me about it, how you can have an impact as a guy that's not running down there every play and taking hit after hit, but about the approach, the way you take care of your body and your your mind and yourself as a player. You've seen the workout videos. He talked about it on drive time, how much he truly enjoys the entire process of getting ready for a season, for a week, for a game, for a punt. It's that methodical, process-driven for lack of a better word, process. That's what Coach McDaniel talked about on the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and OJ, right? How important process is. Thomas Morstead is like a walking process. I just, I love the way he goes about everything. He was fun to talk to about, you know, family life, kicking footballs and everything in between. And by the way, he's one of the best punters of the last decade too. 204 career games, 737 career punts, 46.6 average, an all-pro second team to his name, a Pro Bowl to his name, one blocked kick in his career. That was 2011. That was a long time ago. It was over a decade ago. He's kicked in every damn building in the league. He kicked for the Jets last year for, for part of the season. So kind of those swirling winds, the Meadowlands, familiarity in that building, but also in the AFC East buildings. He's been lauded for his holding ability, which is obviously a huge deal when you have an absolute weapon like Jason Sanders, who's next on our list here, number seven. Jason Sanders, the All-Pro 2020 campaign, earned him a new contract here. And what a weapon he has been for this team to not just salvage stalled drives, but to get you points where points really aren't expected, like 50-50, you know, kicks at that range. He's so consistently accurate from that 45-plus range. Even with a couple of misses last year, his average in that area still holds up against the league best. Kicking is so much a mental game, right? Like it's as much mental as it is physical, if not more, like you can kick or you can't. And then from there, it's about, well, how are you wired? And Sanders, I think has the perfect, almost like emotionless demeanor 
he doesn't get too high after he makes a kick, doesn't get too down on himself after he misses a kick, but he's got a consistent approach, setup, leg swing. He's made 134 of his 137 career PATs. He's 100 for 120 on field goals in his career. What is that? It would be 50, I don't know, man. It's, it's, better, than, it's better than 80%, I know that. <laughs> he's making 66% of his 50-plus yarders. That's crazy. Two-thirds of the time he makes it from that range. It's 50% range usually. He's only ever missed three kicks from under 40, so you know that you're going to get points when you get down close. He's 53 of 56 from that range. It's just hard to top Jason Sanders' output. I'm very glad that he's here. It's nice to have a reliable kicker. Number 44, Blake Ferguson, a sixth-round draft pick. I think he was the only long snapper drafted that year, and his arrival coincided with Sanders' all-pro campaign. And look, I'm not going to sit here and try to analyze long snapping for you guys because to me it's like a results-based type of job, although I can, I'm can, i sure Blake can tell you you know, the intricacies of, of the position. I can't, but I've never seen a botched snap since he got here. So works for me, and he has a fumble recovery. He busts his butt down there every single time on those punts. Number 58, Tommy Heatherly. Really cool story about him getting into FIU and becoming one of the top collegiate punters, uh, working out and getting himself back into football shape to make that happen, and eventually setting a school record in 2020 at FIU with 44.4 yards per punt. That's it. We're done, guys. That's our specialist. That's our entire 90-man roster. I hope this serves you well for training camp as a bit of an audio guide for you guys. Let's go ahead and take our first break on this podcast. going to be a bit shorter today. I didn't plan the 40-minute episodes. I just can't really help myself when it comes to the in-depth deep dives here. So, hey, who, who doesn't want more information? Not hurting anybody to give you more information. So we go ahead and do that here on Drive Time. We'll go ahead and take our first break and dive into the AFC East next here at Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Back here on our last summer series edition of the Drive Time Podcast, about to dive into the AFC East. It's a little bit of a somber moment for me because one of my favorite things since I can remember is getting ready for football season in the summertime. Like I used to buy, every year I bought a pro football weekly magazine, the season preview edition, and I would read it cover to cover. And when I used to be into jogging, I I don't do that now because I I chased a two-year-old around the house, Um, I would memorize every team's lineup and like 
the key rotational guys, like 30 players per team, and recite them in my head on my jogs. It was a good mental, like a good way to get over the mental exhaustion of jogging, but also train myself in something. I wish I would have thought of that back in high school for studying purposes or college even, but I didn't. So I used to do that, and now that publication doesn't exist anymore, and it breaks my heart because I loved reading it so much. But now there's two pieces of content that are, you know, I hate this term, but Bible-esque to me. Warren Sharp uh, does phenomenal work where he takes a look at so many advanced metrics and win probability and all that, you know, crazy stuff that Seth loves, Seth from the fish tank. Uh, he does a great job breaking down these teams and stuff like that. And then audio platform wise, and also on YouTube as well as the bootleg football podcast with Brett Coleman and EJ Snyder, two of my good buddies. They just did the AFC East last week and man, the dolphins episode will get you fired up. They were, they were very complimentary of the dolphins off season and very bullish on this upcoming season. So if you haven't checked that out, go do it. Uh, great work, great content. I, I don't, they, they must put in, you know, months upon months of research and work into that because it's so well done. So the Bootleg Football Podcast, highly recommend that. The Dolphins episode is out. Go check out Brett Coleman and EJ Snyder. Let's go ahead and break down the AFC East here on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast and start again from last year's winners down to the fourth place team in the divisions. And we start with the Buffalo Bills. And it all started for them in 2017 when... They were this, you know, a lot of teams have done this and they were just the next one in line, I suppose, after the Browns did it that that first time. Trading off veterans with big contracts, accumulating draft capital, and identified culture fits for your culture, for your system, for your building, and for Sean McDermott, you know, he knew what he wanted. And he went out and got his culture guys that could help him build that program the way he saw fit. And we'll talk about that superstar quarterback in just one second and kind of what you can you know, glean from Josh Allen, even though he is an exception to the rule as far as trajectory and all that stuff goes for the most part. But I think for the Bills, it gets a little bit lost in the sauce, just how good of a job Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott did to the roster before the arrival of Josh Allen. I mean, they were a playoff team the year before he got drafted. Remember that? The whole 20-year drought ending? I mean, it was a a down year for the back end of the AFC and they snuck in and it was a really, really brutal playoff game against the Jaguars. Like I think it was like nine to six or six to three or something, but they did it and they did it because they were a well-rounded football team. Then it was a down year in Josh Allen's rookie season. Then they push for the postseason and get in his second year, despite some ups and downs. And he has that wild, wild, wild card playoff game against the Texans. And then he becomes Josh Allen as we know him. They bring in Stephon Diggs, and that offense has been a problem for two years now, an absolute unmitigated problem that teams basically can't stop. You just have to hope they have an off day, and you can play your best ball against them. But, you know, for Josh Allen, two years into the league, we knew about the raw traits, the, the insanely physical gifts that he offers with the size, the ability to shake off tackles and create after the fact. And that is a small percentage of your playbook, you know, quarterbacks escaping pressure and scrambling and going off script. It's less than 5% of your offensive plays every year, but he's very good at it. And he also can fit any hole, fit any throw that he wants because he has a big, big, powerful arm. And uh, he just, he plays the position really well too, which I think is overlooked a lot on top of the physical traits. And that's kind of where his game took off when he married up those physical traits with the mental side of the game. And I just think it's a good example of, you know, building around a guy, believing in him, supporting him, and and really giving him time to develop and become that guy because a lot of times in this league, circumstances are can be as important as your own abilities 
to make things happen. And I think that, you know, one year snapshot, two year snapshot sometimes can be short sighted, especially at the quarterback position. It's such a tough thing to do. I mean, it's, can you imagine a tougher profession than playing quarterback? Like it sounds great in theory, but what's asked of those guys is, is a lot mentally and physically. Uh, and you put, you put a, a lot of people's, you know, livelihoods on your back in terms of what you do and it affects other people. So it's a lot to deal with that position. And I just like the way the bills were able to develop this guy and get him the pieces he needed talking about Stefan Diggs and it, getting into this position now where he's proven Diggs has helped him get there. It puts them in this position of a very attractive place for veterans that want to go play there because they are a contender. It's how you're able to land a guy like a Vaughn Miller, a big, big fish. They're able to draft, you know, for two or three years down the line. And they're rearing to make a run now, but also preparing for long-term sustained success in the future. And although a couple of the picks they made this year are going to play right away, we'll have an example of that at the edge position last year. And I find teams like this more fascinating than any in sports because, you know, for the Bengals last year, for example, they almost did what nobody really ever does, or so it seems, where you make that one-year pop-up run and it almost results in the Lombardi. They came up just short because the Bills are doing it the way that it seems like it always has to go. Like, you almost have to earn your pelts (laughs) through excruciating playoff loss after excruciating playoff loss, and... You know, our own coach McDaniel has kind of learned that a little bit. You know, a Super Bowl loss and an NFC Championship game loss, that, that can't be easy to, to go through those games and losses, but it's good experience. And I think back to the Peyton Manning Colts as the best example of that. Like, they had to get over that Patriots hump. And it took them a long time. They finally did it with one of the greatest comebacks in playoff history. I was, I'm was i buddies with a Colts fan, and watching that game at his house, we were all distraught because I obviously wanted the Patriots to lose. He wanted the Colts to win. 21 nothing or 21 three and they came back in that game like what an amazing game that was but it took them a long time to get there like playoff loss after playoff loss and in, in really brutal fashion even at home losing games to those Patriots teams that's the same year 06 that Drew Brees got to New Orleans and went to the NFC championship game and lost to the Bears but they didn't get in that season because they lost to the Bears they didn't get back in 07 or 08 but with playoff losses every year then they did win the whole thing in 2009 beating Manning's Colts. I love symmetry. The Seahawks had a rough playoff loss before winning the crown of their own. Manning again with the Broncos after a couple of rough goes, including a Super Bowl loss against those Seahawks. The Patriots don't really count because they were there every damn year. It seemed like they had a trio more of rings of the collection over that time in the in the aughts through the 26, 2018 season. And I suppose the Eagles were one of those pop-up, you know, one-year pop-up teams that went from non-playoff team to division champion to Super Bowl champion. But all of this is to say the Chiefs, who had to go through their own excruciating playoff losses, a, a, a overtime loss to the Patriots in the division or the uh, the championship round after an offsides call, you know, basically put the Patriots back in the game before they got to the mountaintop the one time they did. They are the Patriots to the Bills who are acting as the Colts from those early 2000s years. The Chiefs are to the Bills what the Patriots were to the Colts, and they damn near got them this year, but 13 seconds left was too many, and now it feels like anything short of a Super Bowl for a team that is in search of its first Lombardi would be, you know, almost a letdown. I don't. I think if you go to the big game or the championship game, like I would be like, yeah, it's a great season because it's really hard to win Super Bowls, but it kind of feels like that's... 
that's where the fans want to be right now. So fascinating, fascinating arc in Buffalo. They're a popular pick to go all the way, I think, probably more than any other team in the league right now. They're loaded. They have a coach and a quarterback that are doing it right. Let's see what they did to get closer in the offseason. They did a lot. New outside linebacker Von Miller. Guard Roger Saffold. That's plug and play. 1,000 snaps for Saffold, probably 700, 800 for Miller. Defensive tackle Jordan Phillips, good player. Receiver Jamison Crowder, good player. Interior defensive lineman Daquan Jones is going to be a big get for them. So is Tim Settle. What a great way to pair those guys up with Ed Oliver on the inside. On the offensive line, David Questenberry and Greg Von Rotten, who are at worst great depth. Tight end OJ Howard, receiver Tavon Austin, running back Duke Johnson, and quarterback Case Keenum. Gone, receiver Cole Beasley, defensive tackle Harrison Phillips, defensive NFA Obata. Cornerback Levi Wallace is a big one to keep an eye on, but we'll talk about him in just one second. Defensive tackle Vernon Butler, and then how about two mainstays, or one more so than the other, but Jerry Hughes, the defensive end's gone. He's in Houston, and Mario Addison also has left the Bills as well. In the draft, cornerback in the first round, Kyir Elam out of Florida. Second round, running back James Cook out of Georgia, and then out of Utah, third round linebacker Terrell Bernard. Storylines for this team. Like, frankly, let's go hang on real quick. Back to the draft class. You know, Kyer Elam was drafted and he had the great video where he said, like, you know, can I get y'all's playbook on the plane right over? Like, help me out here. He wanted to get into that playbook right away. He, you know, we talk about last year they draft um, Carlos Basham and Gregory Rousseau and they go out and get Von Miller this year. Like, those are guys that they kind of were able to develop and build and AJ Epinesa as well under Jerry Hughes, under Mario Addison. Now those guys are gone. Now a bigger role for the young players. But at cornerback, Levi Wallace, excuse me, was the number two corner there for a long time, but he is now gone, and Kyer Elam is the expected guy to step in and fill that role. So there's a good balance of productive rookies that need to get on the field right away, but also an ability to kind of sit and wait and, and develop guys as they play sparingly for a couple of years to get ready. And that could be the case with James Cook, because looking at the storylines here as well, what's going to derail this team? Like, up and down their roster, you know about Josh Allen. I, I I love Case Keenum as a backup there. I think it's an upgrade to what they have in terms of a guy that can step in if he goes down for a few games. But talking about James Cook, <laughs> Zach Moss and Devin Singletary are good players. You drop in James Cook there, awesome. They got better at wide receiver. Like Stephon Diggs is one of the best in the league. Gabe Davis is trending in that direction too. They brought back Isaiah McKenzie, who if you guys recall the <laughs> free agent podcast, he was supposed to hit free agency. I think he did for a day or two maybe, or maybe he didn't. I don't know. Maybe he was signed beforehand. But before he was signed, I was like, that's a guy that makes some sense as far as you know speed and separation ability. And he last year when he got on the field when Cole Beasley was out, he was an upgrade for them. So <clears throat> they also get Jamison Crowder, who is also an upgrade, I think. And they also get a potential gadget guy in Tavon Austin. So that room is good. OJ Howard added to the tight end room that already has a proven stud in Dawson Knox. They got better on the front. Roger Saffold's huge. Von, Van Rotten and Questenberry are both, at worst, really good depth. Both started a lot of games. And, and Questenberry played well for the Titans. Van Rotten for times at the Jets as well. Spencer Brown's only going to get better. Deion Dawkins is a freaking pro bowler. Again, Epinesa, Rousseau, and Basham the last two years in the draft to address what really was their biggest weakness at the time and the edge presence. Okay, cool. Go out and get Von Miller. <laughs> All right. Ed Oliver teams up with Tim Settle, who was really good for Washington. Daquan Jones was really good for the Titans. They come inside to help him. Okay, cool. Uh, they got better at cornerback too, I think, because Trey White and Teron Johnson are elite number one and slot cornerback guys. But I think the world of Kyer Elam they might have the best safety tandem in football in Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano is as good as it gets. Like So again, I ask, where's the trapdoor scenario on this team? 
I just don't see it. I think they're going to be really, really good. I think the one big question you might have is the transition from Dayball to Dorsey at OC. But I also think the world of Ken Dorsey too. So there you go. Uh, the Dolphins see the Bills in South Florida in September for the third straight year this year. Week three, September 25th, a one o'clock kickoff at Hard Rock Stadium. The Bills are coming off a short week after a Monday night football game against the Titans prior to that. And then we go up to Orchard Park in December on the 17th or 18th. It's a flex game with an unknown time, unknown network, but that is week number 15. Let's get to the New England Patriots here before we take our second and last break on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. This is a team that I probably have to tell you the least about, the New England Patriots, besides our own Dolphins. Six rings under Belichick, rulers of the AFC East for two decades, one year (laughs) without postseason play, and they're right back in the next year. It's been interesting to see the Patriots do what they do best and adapt. For the longest time, you know, that's what they've done, and they, for the longest time, they were a destination for players to, like, go get a ring, right? Like, Darrell Rivas comes to mind, Chris Long, another guy that comes to mind immediately, and that was a really tried-and-true way for them to round out their roster because they always drafted so damn well on the offensive line. They always had a good stable of backs, good tight end play. They were exceptional year-in, year-out in the secondary, had some unicorn types at linebacker, like, Dante Hightower is so unique in his role. Kyle Van Noy was for a long time too. And mixed and matched to round it out with some, you know, exceptions here and there to the rule, obviously. But now a big part of their roster is from that spending spree last offseason and a kajillion draft picks last couple of years too. They effectively were able to avoid the worst place in football, quarterback purgatory, post-Brady, which, you know, seems like that's where you're going to go after a legendary quarterback hangs it up. Not all teams do it, but the Patriots didn't have to either. They still have that offensive line. They still have the backs. They have a ton of good defensive backs and ultimately a team that always finds a way to produce a better product than the sum of their parts. I think they did it last two years, frankly. 2020, that team, they had a lot of guys that were out that year, you know, with COVID uh, or on the COVID, um, shoot, what's the, I I can't think of the word. They they sat out the season on the COVID list or they opted, opted out because of COVID and like they had like eight guys that were on that list and injuries that amounted and they still won, you know, half their games. Impressive job that year uh, from Belichick and the Patriots. This year in the offseason, new players, cornerback Terrence Mitchell, safety Jabril Peppers, wide receiver Devontae Parker was traded to the, to the Patriots from the Dolphins this offseason, wide receiver Little Jordan Humphrey from the Saints and linebacker Mac Wilson from the Browns. He was brought over in a trade for who is gone, linebacker Chase Winovich, also offensive guard Shaq Mason, a longtime stalwart there. Linebacker Kyle Van Noy, cornerback J.C. Jackson got a huge contract from the Chargers. He joins Van Noy in L.A. Uh, Center slash guard Ted Karras goes to the Bengals. Nikhil Harry was just traded last week to the Bears. And then also wide receiver Gunnar Olszewski is also gone. In the draft, I love their first round pick, Cole Strange. I talked about him on the podcast for months uh, as a potential, you know, interior line prospect. In the second round, receiver uh, Tyquan Thornton from Baylor. In the third round, cornerback Marcus Jones from Houston. And then three picks in the fourth round, cornerback Jack Jones from Arizona State, quarterback Bailey Zappi from Western Kentucky. And in between those two picks was Pierre Strong, the running back from South Dakota State, who I think is an absolute stud. And he's a good player. I'm sad to see him go to the Patriots because we got to see him twice a year year now. Storylines for the Patriots team. That list of players that left is a lot of snaps and a lot of roles that are instrumental to what the Patriots have done. But as we have learned over the last 20 plus years, they develop and find ways to replace big name production, right? Can they do it again? That's a big storyline. Second year for Mac Jones. Every rookie has, you know, their learning experiences in year one, but he played really well his first year and his development in his second year would be a would be big for how far this team can go. 
And then just kind of zigging while everyone zags, I think is what has made Belichick so great at what he does. You know, even without Mason and Karras and losing Joe Tooney last year, that line still has a bunch of dudes up, up front. And it's probably the deepest backfield in all of football. So can they become a power running team that just demoralizes opposing offenses because last year, or defenses rather, because last year <clears throat> they played a game where passing the ball was not really possible. <laughs> that windstorm in Buffalo, and they still had success running the football, was the most Patriots win you've seen in, in some time, I think. Is that what they want to do? Because they do such a good job of keeping it close to the vest with what they roll out on a yearly and even a weekly basis. It's always fascinating. Since so the Patriots, we have two teams left, including your Miami Dolphins, the third team to finish with a winning record in the division last year. We'll do that next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today. Two teams left to go in our 2022 NFL season preview. One of them is your team, your Miami Dolphins, and I don't really feel like you guys need this here, but we'll go ahead and dive in for posterity. Playoffs in 2016, that was Adam Gase's first year. Injury to the quarterback late in that season made it pretty difficult the following season. Lost that quarterback again for a handful of games in 2018 and went through a rough patch before it eventually kind of hit the bottom in that Jacksonville loss. Man, I'll never forget that game. That pick six late. Never going to forget that one. And then the 2019 season where Chris Greer and staff went to work on reshaping and reloading the roster by loading up on draft picks, clearing cap space, and creating a flexible system that churns over and cultivates a lot of talented football players. Pro Football Focus named the Dolphins roster as the 10th best roster in the NFL right now. And the way this team has brought in various talent through all avenues is one of the things I wanted to mention here in this portion, trying to give you something different than what we did. You know, we know this team. I know you guys know this team. So just wanted to look at how the Dolphins have brought in talent, like through the draft, obviously. That's a big part of it. If you don't do well there, it's tough to be successful. There are some, you know, rare exceptions here and there. But, I mean, Tua, Waddle, Phillips, Holland, Big Rob Hunt, Christian Wilkins, Andrew Van Ginkle, Jason Sanders, Raekwon Davis, Brandon Jones. And that's just to name a few from the last three years. Before that, you had a draft class with Fitzpatrick and Gesicki and Baker. And two years before that, Xavier Howard and Laramie Tunzel. Kenyon Drake and Jakeem Grant, too, for what it's worth. But look at what that Tunzel, turned, that Tunzel pick turned out to be. 
It was a trade, which is another avenue the Dolphins have used effectively, like to get Tyreek Hill. Do you need more than that? Well, if you do, again, the Tunzel trade, and then to use the trade again in 2021 with the Niners to go back and get more draft picks. A productive chunk of this roster, like a big part of the highest producing pieces of this roster were built on, on trades from that trade, from the Larry Tunzel trade. Or the fact that none of Miami's four picks they made this year were their own organic draft picks. It's going up and down the board and being aggressive. Then you have the idea of, you know, trading late round picks or conditional picks for potential risk reward guys like Greg Little last year, for instance, a seventh round draft pick for a guy with a lot of potential and upside. They just find ways always working to work the phones and to make this roster better or through free agency with Teron Armstead, Connor Williams, Byron Jones, Emmanuel Ogba, Adam Butler, Melvin Ingram, Eric Rowe, Cedric Wilson, Chase Edmonds, Sony Michelle, Raheem Mostert. How about going through waivers or off the street or UDFA? Zach Sealer, one of the most underrated players in the National Football League. Nick Needham can say the exact same thing about him. How about going to the CFL and getting a quality sub package backer slash special teamer in Sam Egwavon? Who does that? It's been fun to watch. Let's recap it real quick, even though we kind of just did. New this offseason, Teron Armstead, Connor Williams, Cedric Wilson, Chase Edmonds, Sonny Michelle, Raheem Mostert, also Teddy Bridgewater, Trent Sherfield and River Craycraft, Melvin Ingram, Porter Gustin, Keon Crossan, Thomas Morstead, to name a few of them there, and then gone, receiver Devontae Parker, tackle slash guard Jesse Davis, quarterback Jacoby Brissett, running backs Malcolm Brown, Philip Lindsay, Duke Johnson, corner Justin Coleman, receivers Mac Hollins and Will Fuller, Offensive lineman Greg Mance and linebacker Vince Beagle. In the draft, in the third round, linebacker Channing Tindall out of Georgia. In the fourth round, wide receiver Eric Ezukama out of Texas Tech. In the seventh, a couple of picks, outside linebacker Cameron Good from Cal. And quarterback Skylar Thompson from Kansas State. The storylines here for the Dolphins. What's the impact of the big moves? How how much of an impact can Tyreek have and how quickly? How does he fit into the offense? All that stuff is a big storyline. Second year for that 2021 class. I mean, we saw Waddle, Phillips, and Holland, and Eichenberg all have huge roles last year. Can they take another step? What does year two look like for Hunter Long? Guy that didn't play a whole lot last year, but did get his feet wet. Or guys that didn't play at all, like Larnell Coleman and Jared Dokes. Curious to get a look at that class in year number two. And then just McDaniel and his offensive system. Like, you know, I get asked this a lot. Like, what's the system going to look like? What's the offense going to look like? I don't know. How, how do I know that? Like, the Shanahan offense has so many variations and different you know, wrinkles and twists on it. McDaniel's going to put together with his coaching staff, his offense. So I can't wait to find out either. And then also on defense, getting the band back together, been a big point of contention this off season for uh, stuff we've talked about. I love the personnel coming back and the, the names they added to supplement that side of the ball as well. Big storyline there for this Miami Dolphins defense. Let's go ahead and finish up with the New York Jets here who have had a very busy offseason as well. Second year for Robert Sala, second year for Zach Wilson, and they had a boatload of draft picks thanks in large part to that Jamal Adams trade, also including a top three pick after picking second last year from their own organic draft picks. And that Wilson pick came off a tough 2020 season that saw them move on from Adam Gase to Robert Sala, 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 the architect of that Super Bowl appearance of the Niners back in 2019. Man, he really had that defense cooking. The roster is almost unrecognizable for the Jets as that one was back in 2020. And that's probably music to Jets fans' ears because that was a rough season. A fan base itching to see the needle really move in the right direction after a tough 10-year run here uh, with Gang Green. Let's go ahead and see what they did in the offseason. New is safety Jordan Whitehead, defensive end Jacob Martin and Solomon Thomas, tight ends Tyler Conklin and CJ Uzama, cornerback DJ Reed, a nice get, and offensive guard Lycan Tomlinson as well. 
formerly of the 49ers. Gone safety Marcus May, been a good player for them. Receiver Keelan Cole, receiver Jamison Crowder, offensive lineman Morgan Moses and Greg Van Roten. Uh, tight ends Ryan Griffin, Tyler Croft, so a two-for-two tight end swap there. And defensive tackle Foley Fadakusi is now gone. Draft in the th- first round, three players, cornerback Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati, wide receiver Garrett Wilson from Ohio State, and defensive end Jermaine Johnson from Florida State. In the second round, running back Brees Hall from Iowa State. In the third round, tight end Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio State, almost said Iowa State again. And then their last two picks were in the fourth round. Offensive tackle Max Mitchell from Louisiana and defensive end Michael Clemens from Texas A&M. Storylines here. Look, anytime your quarterback is in his rookie contract and hasn't like gone deep into the playoffs and made a bunch of you know noise through stats, it's always a storyline. So for Zach Wilson, year two, can he make a jump? A remade roster, how quickly does it come together? Does it come together? If not, how much progress is enough to call it a successful season? Curious to see how that goes for the Jets in a very tough AFC East. And they're asking a ton of rookies. You know, Sauce is going to play a ton. He should start. I think Garrett Wilson probably does too. And Jermaine Johnson probably plays a lot too off the edge. And then Brees Hall with him and Michael Carter in that backfield. It's a good backfield, but all four of those guys probably start this year. And then you have Carl Lawson coming back. That might be the biggest boon of it all. I think he was kind of key to what they wanted to do. And Salah is such a good coach that I have little doubt that he kind of had these plans to build his one gap, you know, rush with your hair on fire scheme, get up field, get after the quarterback around Carl Lawson because he was a great rusher for the Bengals for so long. And now that front is better and gets him back. It's a big storyline for the Jets up front. Storylines of the division, just a few here. Can the Bills get over the hump? They've been close. Will things tighten up, you know, from fourth to first? Will it get tighter? Because this division has had a big gap from first to fourth for a long, long time. And then McDaniel and Salah, I just kind of thought about this, writing this together, you know, on the Niners staff together for a couple of years now and back-to-back years, they leave for head coaching jobs in the AFC East. Kind of a cool story there uh, with those two bright, bright minds uh, in this coaching profession. The divisional awards, the quarterback, it's Josh Allen. It's obvious. The non-quarterback on offense, Tyreek Hill and Stephon Diggs. I'm going to take our guy. I mean, I think he's the best receiver in the NFL, but I'll, I'll go ahead and leave it at that. On defense, I'm taking Xavier Howard. The coach is Bill Belichick. How would it not be? The breakout player. It's I'm, I'm going to put Waddle, Phillips, and Holland on here. I don't care how you want to define that because they all had good rookie seasons, but I think there's a lot more to come there. It's going to be one of those three. And then the rookie, I'm taking Cole Strange or Kyer Elam. I'm split on that. The division champion, I'm taking the Buffalo Bills. That's it. That's all. I'll talk to you guys again when training camp rolls around. Uh, July 27th, the team, I believe, is is reporting for camp, so I cannot wait to get on the practice field and bring you guys podcasts and written stories. The Travis Wingfield Training Camp Notebook will be back on MiamiDolphins.com as well. In the meantime, enjoy the Mariners just killing it right now. This could be the kiss of death because as I record this podcast, 10-game winning streak, but it won't come out for over a week, so we'll see how that goes for me. Uh, enjoy Better Call Saul. How good has that show been? My goodness. And just enjoy the rest of your summers. We'll be back for you guys uh, Next week, talking football, talking Dolphins training camp. In the meantime, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and OJ. And our Twitter Spaces show was back last night, I believe, if my scheduling is correct. And also check out the YouTube channel for Dolphins Today for drive time and fish tank interviews and all the media availabilities come training camp. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, Daddy, and he's going home.